Your home for award-winning coverage of Marshall Athletics is right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHM-LP Ravenswood, West Virginia. It was a party like any other. Everyone was having a good time, laughing, dancing, drinking. I guess I just had one too many beers that night. Somehow I staggered out to my car and got behind the wheel. Little did I know that in a few moments, my entire life would be changed forever. You see, that night I ran into a telephone pole, and in that wreck, I broke my neck. I'm what you call a quadriplegic now. I'm paralyzed from the neck down, and just the simple task of tying my shoes or taking a walk are just memories now. It's been a long, painful road to recovery. Still, I don't think I'm ever going to get over the fact that I'm in this wheelchair forever because of a stupid mistake by drinking and driving. Designate a driver. Call a cab. Find an alternative. This message brought to you by your friends at WNUL. Stay tuned for another sports presentation on the worldwide leader of Marshall University Athletics coverage, the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. This is Sports View, WMUL's premier sports talk show featuring guests from Thundering Herd Athletics. Sports View is presented by the award-winning FM 88 sports team. Now, here's tonight's host of Sports View. Good evening and welcome to Sports View tonight. I am Ray Rynearson, joined by the voice of the Thundering Herd, Steve Cotton, for the first half of our program. And then our very own Jonathan Edwards will talk to Associate Athletic Director and Administration and Business, Deborah Bond, in the second half. Steve, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you for coming out tonight and being on our show. I'm glad to be here. Many may, many, many may know you for your voice as being the voice of the Thundering Herd, but many may not know sports, not as a keen interest of your family. You didn't grow up around sports. Your family wasn't really interested in sports. So how did you find your passion becoming a sportscaster early on? Well, you're right. Uh, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in uh, the northern lower peninsula of Michigan. My family are farmers, but uh, even talking about rural areas, ours was uh, particularly rural. The, In fact, the one-room country schoolhouse, like Little House in the Prairie, is still in operation. My cousins still run the family farm. Their kids have graduated from that school, but kindergarten through eighth grade, when I was there, we had about 30 students in the school. There were no, and that's you know, spread out over all those uh, grade levels, so there were no sports teams. And my uh, parents worked, you know, they get out of school and they had to go home and work on the farm. So they weren't, they didn't play uh, sports themselves. So in general, uh, most of the folks in my family, the people I was around, didn't know the difference between a jump shot and third base, I say. And I, for my fifth birthday, 19, uh, or I'm sorry, my seventh birthday, 1971, I received a little transistor, transistor radio as a gift and was lying in bed that night or the next night and uh, scanning through, listening to uh, the music stations and came across the Detroit Tigers baseball broadcast. Had no idea at that time that their 
play-by-play announcer, Ernie Harwell, was one of the all-time greats. If you talk to people who uh, think about such things, that uh, the the experts in the business, he, you know, probably one of the top five baseball play-by-play guys of all time. I had no idea what he was talking about, but I was enthralled. And he was a great storyteller. And I, over the next uh, couple of years, just uh, got slowly ingrained into what he was talking about and had a uh, just a, a great interest in baseball. And it was not only the baseball part of it. That was a, a large part of it, certainly. But I'm hearing and learning about all these faraway cities, Boston and the Green Monster at Fenway Park and, uh, you know, California, yeah. Anaheim, and all this kind of thing. And, and so it kind of opened up a whole new world to me. And, again, the broadcast part of it was uh, such that I thought Ernie was my friend. He, you know, I never did meet Ernie Harwell. Uh, wrote a letter to him. He was uh, kind enough to respond. But he was one of my best friends, even as a young kid. And as I got into uh, college and started to think about what I wanted to do, I always thought Ernie had the greatest job in the world. You go to the ballpark every day and get to talk about that. But I also thought that uh, – you know, the, the communication part of it, the storytelling, the inter- I just thought that was a, a very interesting kind of profession. And so I said I was going to take a semester of broadcasting classes and see how I liked it, and I never went back to anything else. <laughs> as you can tell here, as you've been at Marshall for a while here now, but kind of still talking about early on. So you talk about Ernie, as you said, being your best friend. Who else after that did you look up to kind of to model yourself after kind of going forward? Because you said it wasn't big in your family. And like you said, you wouldn't know between a jump shot and a home run. So when you were getting into it and starting to listen to it more and more and more, who did you learn listen to other than Ernie that you kind of modeled yourself after as you got older? Well, you had the uh, and the Detroit sports teams were, were on the radio for the most part. So George Blaha, longtime voice of the Detroit Pistons and uh, Michigan State University football, and uh, was someone I thought was a very exciting guy as a broadcaster. The University of Michigan in those days had a guy named Bob Eufer who was famous, beloved, but had a totally different style. He was crazy yelling and screaming and uh, carrying on. And even at, uh, you know, 10, 12 years old, I knew that I enjoyed listening to him. It was exciting, but it was not the way I would ever go about that. It would not be my personality <laughs> and so on. So, But he was another famous broadcaster up there. And then uh, one of my uncles, and, and really of, among the relatives, the only sports fan, was uh, had gone to Central Michigan University, and when he saw that I was interested in that kind of thing, started to tell me about one of his classmates was Dick Enberg, who ended up being one of the great uh, sports broadcasters of all time. So I paid attention to him as I gradually grew to add to it wasn't just baseball anymore. Uh, you know, there were only a couple of football games on every week. So Keith Jackson was the voice of college football at that time, and again, to this day, one of the very best handful of people ever to do that. So those were some of the, the voices I remember early on. Yeah. Uh, and I, another, I was older then. I was uh, in college by then. But uh, the 1980 Olympics and Al Michaels yep. and that kind of thing made a pretty big impact on me as well. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, you didn't really look back after that one semester of broadcasting. But before that, you didn't go to college for 
broadcasting. That was not the original plan for you. So you're going to do uh, engineering. That's a, really what you wanted to go to at first. But as um, you mentioned, you didn't want to do computers. You found that really that knack for broadcasting. Yeah, I had. Uh, so the company that my parents both worked for, my dad had gotten away from working on the farm. Uh, so he and my mom both worked at a company called Bear Archery. They made bows and arrows and largest archery manufacturer in the world. When I was a freshman in high school, that company moved to Gainesville, Florida. So my family went with it. So I went to high school there. A pretty big difference, jumping from my little one-room country school to a, a high school that had over 2,000 students and stayed then in Gainesville, went to the University of Florida. And I, like most uh, or at least many college students, didn't really have an idea when I got to that uh, point, 18 years old, what did I really want to do? I'd always had, you know, broadcasting baseball in the back of my mind, but I knew that, uh, you know, how hard it is. You think about becoming a major league baseball player, how difficult that is. And there are, at that time, I think the rosters were 25 and guys get hurt, you know, 35 guys might play for a team. And uh, you had uh, your, what, I think about uh, 24 teams at that point <laughs> yeah. in the major league. Well, how hard is it to do that? Well, the broadcasters, there are two of them. Yeah. And they stay, they don't, you know, the major league player plays, most of them, four or five years, if that. Well, they stay for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. And so I thought, I knew that it was not necessarily a realistic thing to end up being a major league broadcaster. So, you know, my career, what do I want to do? You need to make some money at some point. And that uh, I I, I had a knack for science and math, so I ended up uh, starting out as an electrical engineering major. Knew after uh, a couple semesters of that 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 wasn't the, the electrical engineering, sitting on a computer in an office, that was not what I wanted to do, design circuits all the time. So I was probably going to change to mechanical engineering or civil engineering, something where you're out in the field working. And long story short, you know, the, the way the semesters worked out, if I was going to change, I needed to, uh, because I made the decision uh, after the fall semester, I wouldn't really be able to get back into the sequence of classes until the following fall. And so I had a kind of a throwaway semester. Yeah. And I said, you know what, let's take some broadcasting classes just to see what that would be like. Yeah. And as you mentioned, was there any influence on that? Was there anybody on the outside or even at the, at the University of Florida in Gainesville that kind of pushed you to say, hey, do this semester. Why not just give it a shot because you've always had a love for it from growing up? Was there anybody kind of over your shoulder talking to you, hey, just do it, just try it? Or was it all on you? It, it was on me. In I didn't even uh, – tell my parents until I had uh, signed up for the broadcasting class. I said, by, by the way, at dinner table, <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, I'm not an electrical engineering major anymore. Uh, and uh, I had to declare a major to take the classes. So I said, yeah, I'm actually a journalism major this semester. <laughs> and uh, they weren't really thrilled about it. I think they forgave me after about 10 or 15 years of this, though. And uh, they're on board with the broadcast career. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, but like I was mentioned. There was University of Florida. Yeah, you also with Wake. You also spent some time at Carson Newman as well. All on that before you got here, this full time job at Marshall. So with all those experiences, and you can go one by one, however order you want to go in. What really shaped you into the broadcaster you are today to get this job that you've essentially held on to since you've been here? You haven't gone anywhere. You've been the voice. Everyone knows who you are if they turn on the radio for Marshall Athletics. Well, so my first job after graduating from the University of Florida was at uh, Carson Newman College then, now Carson Newman University in Jefferson City, Tennessee. 
It is a Division II school now. At that time, it was an NAIA school, and it was an NAIA football power. They had won three national championships in the previous four years, so the broadcasts, even though it was a small school, were a pretty big deal. It was popular in the area, and I ended up doing games there, interestingly enough, with a guy named Stan Cotton. He spells his name differently. We're not related. Everybody thinks we're related. His daughters call me Uncle Steve, so we even confuse it that much more. But the uh, job there was to do the Carson Newman was so popular that the local NBC affiliate, Knoxville, Tennessee, broadcast, telecast their home games. And so the job included working as the color analyst with Stan when we were on the road. But when we were home, he would do the television. I would do the radio play-by-play. And up until then, even after the idea was to uh, become a broadcaster, I was all about baseball. And I had never gone to football games as a fan, as a student, and even worked some as a statistician and stuff on Florida broadcast. But – For whatever reason, dummy me had never even thought about the possibility that I might be a football play-by-play guy at some point. So the very first game I did, the season opener, was Carson Newman ranked number one in the nation against Hillsdale College of Michigan ranked number two. Biggest game in the NAI, which at that time was a much bigger deal than it is now. uh, A lot of those schools had moved to the NCAA in Division II. And, but it was a pretty big deal and a great game. Carson Newman won a close game. And uh, thank goodness I uh, didn't even have the forethought to record that game because I would, never, I would not want to hear it. I wouldn't want anybody else to hear it. It had to have been awful. I, again, was just a casual fan of football, had never thought about the technical part of broadcasting a football game, what goes into that. I knew enough to give the time and the score a lot and just try to say who had the ball and what they were doing with it and then hang on for dear life. And uh, after that experience and knowing myself from, uh, you know, I've been thinking about broadcasting and how to describe things and all that sort of thing, I knew I hadn't done a very good job of it, but I was able to then critically go back and Stan helped me out uh, just tremendously. Like, okay, think about this, do this. Here are the mechanics of calling play-by-play for a football game. And by the end of the year, I uh, and they lost the national championship game that year. By the end of the year, I was certainly not good, but I was nowhere near as bad as I was to start with. And so kind of got off and uh, running and. I never did get a job in minor league baseball. I ended up uh, working in colleges my whole way. After four years at Carson Newman, I went back to Gainesville, did uh, radio for Florida women's basketball, some baseball games. Stan, a year later, became the radio guy at Marshall University, got the job here in 1992. So he was the play-by-play guy for Marshall's first national championship on the football field. Again, another year later, I'd been in it. I was pushing 30 years old. I really hadn't gotten the break where I made real money for as a full-time job. And I decided, okay, I need to uh, change course a little bit. Went to – decided I was going to grad school. And, uh, again, long story short, Stan convinced me to come to Marshall, not to give up on broadcasting totally. And three years later, he got the job at Wake Forest, and I ended up uh, replacing him. And starting with uh, – Randy Moss's first game in 1996 have been calling Marshall football, basketball, and some baseball ever since. Awesome. All right, we're going to take a break here real quick. We're going to step aside here. You're listening to Sports View on the Coyote Sports Radio Network. 
Attention high school sports fans, are you an armchair official? You know, the parent or fan who constantly yells at the referees and loves to let everyone know just how bad you think they are. Well, if you think you could do better, then get in the game and prove it. It's time for you to suit up and make the calls where they actually count. Every sport in West Virginia needs more officials. Sign up today at highschoolofficials.com. Ah, my darling, I love the tango, and I love you, more than the sunrise on a clear summer day, more than the colors of the rainbow, more than the, how do you say, American football. Do you love me more than the WMUL? Are you crazy, woman? I mean, alas, it is not so. For the WMUL is, how do you say, ah yes, too sexy. Welcome back to Sports View. If you're just tuning in with us here, I'm Ray Ryan joined by the voice of the Thundering Herd, Steve Cotton. And right as we were ending things up in that first half of our segment here, you're kind of getting into your martial days, which is perfect. Rolls in right to what I have for you. You now have done this 29 years in total, and you've been calling games for the Thundering Herd for 27 years. But before you were the voice, you had some gray area where you're kind of just, like you were mentioning, you were doing stuff on the side, doing stuff for Marshall, but it wasn't necessarily for the Thunder Hunters being the voice. So how did that prepare you getting ready to step into that job when you finally took over for the job to be the voice? When I came to Marshall, 1993 um, was my first fall here. Came to grad school and was planning to be here a year and a half and uh, get a master's degree and see where life took me from that point on. But I did uh, the sideline reporting on the radio network and uh, then did that for a second year. And at that point... Uh, when I was saying, okay, it's time to grow up, find what my real job's going to be, Stan really pushed me that, you know what, you're close. You, you can do this. And his encouragement really made the difference uh, for me to, to give it another year, basically. Things changed in the, on, in the personnel and the network, so I was the color analyst for one year, 1995, another run to the championship game for Marshall. And uh, then that was a big year of turnover in Marshall Athletics. Jim Donnan had been the football coach, got the job at the University of Georgia. We had a new football coach, a guy named Bob Pruitt comes in. Nobody knows a whole lot about him, even though he had played at Marshall. It had been uh, 30 years before that. And so he's the new football coach. Billy Donovan left as the basketball coach, went to Florida. We hired Greg White, new coach there. There was a new athletic director, Lee Moon left, and uh, Lance West ended up becoming the athletic director. A lot of change that year. Stan got the job at Wake Forest University. He is still there, so it's been a great uh, spot for him. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get the job at a time when Marshall had lost the championship game the year before was going to be probably ranked number one in the preseason even before the addition of a quarterback who came from Florida with Bob Pruitt and Eric Kresser. And then, uh, oh, in August, Randy Moss ends up at Marshall University. Thundering Herd goes 15-0. and There was no game within two touchdowns. And I would highly recommend that for any broadcaster who gets a new job because the fans were loving everything we said because they were happy. It was all touchdown Herd and Marshall wins. And between that and the fact that I was a familiar voice from uh, being in the broadcast for a couple of years, it was a very quick and 
easy transition for me to end up uh, stepping into the play-by-play role. Yeah, and you kind of hit on it earlier with Ernie. As you mentioned, you never met him. You wrote a letter to him, but he felt like your best friend. So how critical was that to you, trying to be the best friend for every Marshall fan? As you said, it's kind of been easy in both at Carson Newman. You had the number one team. At Marshall, you had the number one team. But you also knew you still had to be that best friend for everyone. And people still have to accept you because you're brand new to this. So how did you do that? What was your process in doing that? I didn't really, uh, even though that was in my head all along, I I really just wanted to get better. I was still pretty inexperienced at calling, especially football play-by-play. And so I just uh, wanted to get better at it. And I have always kept in mind, and that was just at the time when you started to get all the analytics involved and deep statistics and all that kind of thing. I always wanted it to be more about the players, the coaches, the personalities, the stories. And so I use plenty of statistics, don't get me wrong on that, but I try not to overpower with numbers and make the personal connection even, uh, and and that's true, uh, talking about in those days, Randy Moss and Chad Pennington and Byron Leftwich and uh, the Keith Beanies and J.R. Van Hoos when you talk about basketball, do it that way. And uh, I think you, you cannot force yourself to you cannot force the listeners to like you yeah. over the air but I think it's just that kind of the stories the the familiarity and at some point uh I started hearing people uh, you know, Marshall students particularly say yeah who who did the games before you you're the only guy I've ever I said okay I've been here a while and you uh through longevity if nothing else and that familiarity become comfortable for people to some extent yeah, and you just hit on a key word for me, longevity. What would you say your key to success so far? Because you said in the very beginning you're still learning, and even to this point in your career you are still learning because technology changes, things changes, you have to change with the technology. So how have you kept your longevity to keep staying here and not leaving Marshall but wanting to stay here and just keep growing with this Marshall family? Well, I realized that Marshall, even in the within the first five years, so this is a really special place. It's a cool place. It's a fit for me. That's as much as anything. I, you know, grew up on a potato farm in the middle of nowhere. I would not be a big city guy. I, you know, Georgia Tech would not be for me. I wouldn't want to live uh, in downtown Atlanta. The University of Miami would not be for me. So even though I was a, the, young enough to be thinking about, okay, what's the next job? What's a bigger paying job? What's a, a you know, a, a more prestigious market, whatever, I was pretty picky about it and never have really gotten to the point where I went and did a physical interview for another job. I've been contacted by people wanting to know if I was interested, encouraging me to, you know, look at their position. It never felt right. A couple of jobs early on I applied for. I wasn't the right guy for them. It just never happened. So I settled in and was content very early on in this run that, uh, you know what, Marshall being a uh, – one-time stop for me, my full full career, that would be fine. So I was happy with that. Yeah. And as you mentioned, now you're even later into your career. Would you ever maybe think, like, this is it for me? I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to finish out as Marshall? Or you've always had that baseball dream. If the Cincinnati Reds for one day decided, hey, Steve, do you want to just come up and call a couple games for us? Would you do that? Or would you just be like, you know what, I've had my tenure here at Marshall. I like to finish it out here. And that is that. Well, I, I don't think if it happened, who knows? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I That's kind of so far-fetched to me that uh, I don't even know how I would react. But it's also not realistic in that if you're going to be a Major League Baseball play-by-play guy, 
they're going to hire somebody who's called a whole lot of baseball games. And fortunately now at Marshall with the new ballpark construction well underway, we can start doing more. But I haven't called relative to other even college guys that many baseball games because, you know, we when you're going from one facility to the next and don't know where you're going to play next week if, based on the weather, that makes it really hard to try it. We never have been able to put together a full baseball broadcast schedule or anything. So, uh, you know, the baseball dream would be kind of fun to think about, but uh, it's it's never been realistic at all. So who knows? <laughs> who knows is a great answer. But also on top of that, you're not just servicing us being in the booth and being in our ears and bringing us into your home, but you're also a big history guy, and you did a big thing for Marshall. Stats weren't a big thing at Marshall, especially in the football side of things. And you were on your way, and you did a huge thing for Marshall, and you started keeping a record book. Why why did you want to do that, and what draw like drew you to do that besides loving history? Well, so Marshall, through the years, has uh, had a pretty high turnover in particularly the sports information area. And that really led to the fact that we didn't have a very good record book at all. It was, you know, 10 or 12 pages in the football media guide. And so my first years, Randy Moss, Chad Pennington, Byron Leftwich, they're putting up huge numbers. And you would think, okay, is that a record? Well, we really didn't have the listing to know, well, was that the third most passing yards in a game or or whatever. So I kind of put in the back of my boy, somebody ought to really do a good job and put together a real record book. Well, several years later, we hit the Rakeem Cato and Tommy Shuler area in Marshall football, and they're putting up huge numbers again. And I said, you know what? Nobody else is doing this. I'm going to do it if if it's okay with my bosses. And at that time, uh, Mike Hamrick was the athletic director. He had played football for Marshall. The history of this institution was important to him, and he said, absolutely, in your summers, that's your job. Go to the library, do whatever you need to do. I uh, spend a whole lot of time in the Marshall University archives and the Morrill Library. The head archivist and special collections head, Lori Thompson, is also a sports fan, which helps out. And uh, I, I bury myself in there. What was at one time about uh, 12, 15 pages in the media guide is now a Marshall record book that's over 200 pages uh, thick. And uh, we have a, a pretty comprehensive record book. I've checked with, uh, looked at the record books at some of the biggest football powerhouses in the country and uh, tried to make sure I didn't leave anything out <laughs> that they had. And there are still a couple of things that I would like to go back through and uh, you know add in, but it is a pretty comprehensive book. And long after I'm gone, nobody remembers what my main <laughs> name was. They're going to be using that record book every week. Yes, it's, they certainly are. And kind of one last thing for you before you wrap up here, outside of uh, calling games, because everyone knows you for that, you also, on your spare time, when you have the time, you like to do woodworking. What drew you to woodworking? I know it has some tie to your dad, but what really draw, draws you into woodworking? Because everyone knows you as the sports guy. So let's talk about woodworking. What did, what drew you to woodworking? Well, my dad taught woodworking in uh, 4-H up in that little town in Michigan. And uh, I always kind of enjoyed that. So when I bought a house finally, after years and years of apartment living, when I'd go up there and visit in the summer, we would do, I would build a coffee table or an end table, something like that, just projects that he and I could do it together. Well, he then uh, had pretty much, uh, he had a great workshop and he had 
done like all the cabinetry and stuff in their house that they bought when they moved back to Michigan when they retired. And uh, he, though, they they built everything they needed to. And, you know, he liked working with wood. A friend of his was a wood carver, convinced dad to go with him to a little wood carving show they do up in that area every summer. Dad bought a couple of little carving knives and some basswood, and I got up there later that summer on my annual trip and saw this little wooden cowboy boot sitting there. And I uh, said, what is that? And uh, he said, oh, yeah, I've been, I carved that. And Well, a few minutes later, he disappeared. And a little while later, he came back in. He handed me a piece of wood kind of shaped like an L and uh, a knife and said, you carve one. You, you've <laughs> done plenty of woodworking. You understand wood grain, working with grain. See what you do. And I, I carved that little cowboy boot. Again, kind of like my first baseball broadcast or rather football broadcast of Carson Newman. That boot is awful, but I still have it as the start. And I got into what's called caricature carving. Uh, not realistic figures, but, uh, you know, Santa Clauses and cowboys and that kind of thing. And just uh, took a lot of classes in it, travel around in the summer, make it a little vacation trip, and uh, learn from some of the best wood carvers. And I've, I've found a lot of enjoyment from that over the years. Yeah. Well, that does do that for us for this segment of it, Steve. Of course, we always – it's a pleasure for you to have us on Sports You Thank you so much again for being here. It's always a pleasure to have you here in the building. Sure thing, Ray. Ray Renierson here on Sports View. When we come back, we will have Marshall Sports Update. Then Jonathan Edwards will be sitting down with Deborah Boughton, the Associate Athletic Director of Administrative Business, here up next on Sports View. Did you know that 63% of homes contain allergens from cockroaches? And that mice spread potent asthma triggers found in 82% of homes? It's true. Common household pests are major offenders on the list of indoor allergens. Learn what you can do to help your family breathe easier. Visit PestWorld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association and the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. Hello and welcome to the Sports View Sports Update. My name is Ben Cower, and this evening we'll have reports on Marshall Sports News during this segment of the program. Let's begin this evening with FM88 Sports Ben Anderson's report of Sunbelt Conference Men's Basketball Media Day, where Marshall Thundering Herd head coach Dan D'Antoni and senior guard Camden Kerfman, who was just named to the preseason all-Sunbelt second team a day ago, spoke to the media representing the Herd. This morning, Marshall Men's Basketball head coach Dan D'Antoni and senior guard Camden Kerfman represent the Marshall Thundering Herd men's basketball team in the 2023 Sunbelt Conference Men's Basketball Media Day in New Orleans, Louisiana. The Thundering Herd enter the 2023 season with two 2023 All-Sunbelt Conference preseason selections with Camden Kerfman and Obita and Achille Killen, while also adding six new players with three being high school recruits and three coming from the transfer portal. Head coach Dan D'Antoni says that the three transfer players show a lot 
lot of potential with his coaching style of play. We've added three new faces that one played Texas State, Nate uh, Martin. We've added Kevon out of Maryland Eastern Shores. Both of them played about 21 minutes and had good stats. And we think with our play, which goes more up and down, they get more repetitions on either end because of the pace of the game that their stats are going to grow. And we'll open the floor up. I think that'll help Nate. And we allow shooters like Cam and Kevon to see if they can't burn the nets up a little bit. Camden Kerfman says that having a veteran roster benefits the development of the team's chemistry. Everyone that we see in the rotation will be juniors, seniors, fifth years, and a couple younger guys mixed in. So really leadership, and Dan always says this, should come from within the locker room, within the players. You see it every day. You know what's going on. You know how people feel. But knowing that we have an older group, knowing that we can lead by committee, I think will be very important because we're all human. We all go through the ups and downs and everyone needs to lift each other up. The Thundering Herd was picked to finish seventh in the Sunbelt Conference preseason polls. Coach D'Antoni says he is not worried about the polls with a fast-changing environment of collegiate basketball. Yeah, I think the uh, early polls are for fans, not for players or coaches or anything. We moved up a spot. We were eighth last year and had a chance to win the region and uh, or the conference again uh, southern miss was picked near not the bottom the next one we're on the bottom and ended up winning it so and with the transfer portal you don't know uh, every every team within our conference has a lot of ads and losses the marshall thundering her men's basketball team will continue to train in preparation for a successful second season in the sunbelt conference for fm 88 sports I'm Ben Anderson. Thanks, Ben. Now here's FM88 Sports' John Bogus with a recap of Marshall's swimming and diving success in competition at the 2023 West Virginia State Games. The Marshall swimming and diving team showed Saturday it's a premier team in the Mountain State after claiming first place in Morgantown, West Virginia at the West Virginia Games. After day one, Marshall was second in the seven-team All-West Virginia event, trailing the meet's host, WVU, by just 11 points. It was Marshall who would come out on top after day two, though, with a narrow margin of 1,340.5 points to the second-place WVU's 1,300.5 points. Head coach Ian Walsh said that the team's passion and depth is what made the team victorious. It was our depth and every single person contributed on our team. I think that's probably what I was most proud of. Every single person on our roster put up points for that win. And when you have a large meet like that, it comes down to 40 points over a 3,000-point meet. That's a pretty big deal. The win marks only the second time in program history Marshall has defeated WVU. Senior swimmer Madeline Hart said it was a special moment and the team saw success from sharing in Encouragement. I don't know that we really had the goal to win, but we did have the goal to just be our best. We cheered each other on. Momentum was great. We are all very encouraging. Marshall will have the opportunity to face a Sunbelt Conference opponent when it next travels to Harrisonburg, Virginia to face James Madison on November 4th. For FM 88 Sports, I'm John Bogus. Thanks, John. Also in swimming and diving news, Marshall swimmer Esther LeBon was named Sunbelt Swimmer of the Week last week, where LeBon played an integral role in beating West Virginia University at the West Virginia Games, where the Budapest Hungry native swam in six events over the span of the two-day meet and won two individual freestyle events, both leading the conference. LeBon averaged a fourth-place finish across all of her events across the eight-team competition. And that will conclude the Sports View Sports. 
Sports Update. After a quick break, we'll have the second half of this evening's program, where FM 88 Sports' Jonathan Edwards will sit down with Deborah Boten, Marshall's Executive Associate Athletic Director for Championship Planning and Resources. I'm Ben Cower, and stay tuned for more Sports View, coming up next right here on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. This just in. The WMUL news staff is looking for dedicated individuals to report, anchor, and produce its multi-award winning daily newscast. No experience is required and all majors may apply. Interested candidates should call 696-6640 or email wmulnews at marshall.edu. Join the crew for the best newscast for the state of West Virginia. News Center 88 on 88.1 WMUL. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sports View on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. I'm your host for the second half of the show, Jonathan Edwards. It's not every day that you get to see or hear what's going on behind the curtain in uh, college athletics, but today our guest deals with just that. I'm joined this evening by Deborah Broughton. Deborah, how are you doing this evening? Really good, thank you. I just want to take the time before we get into the thick of it and say thank you for being here tonight and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Absolutely. All right, so let's not waste any more time. Uh, Deborah, your official title has seen a few changes in your year-plus stint with Marshall Athletics, but it now stands as Executive Associate Athletic Director for Championship Planning and Resources. That's quite the title. Can you break down the key areas what you reside over? Pretty much everything. Um, you know, the, the primary thing is about uh, resources, and so it's resource allocation, research, uh, resource generation, uh, making sure that we're putting it in the right places to ensure that our student-athletes have an uh, awesome experience, um, we're obviously all about trying to win championships and getting to that championship level. So it's it's spending a lot of time figuring out where need, things we need to go, how do we raise more money, um, and how do we prioritize it for our student-athletes. So what is your philosophy on generating revenue for um, the Marshall programs you're over? Yeah, well, I, I'm actually responsible for all of the revenue generation. Um, you know, we spent a quite a bit of time focusing on creating our, creating a great fan experience. Um, this has been a great new initiative for us. We've spent, uh, again, a ton of time working on it. We want to be personnel-proof. We want to be, you know, game-winning-proof so that our fans have a wonderful experience regardless of the outcome of the game. And I think we've definitely achieved that in lots of different areas. You've seen us enhance our football game experience from the fireworks to um, our volleyball game experience with different uh, little uh, music accolades and such. So it's been a really fun experience for the student-athletes, I think, and also for our fans. We're really... uh, One of the great things about Marshall is our passionate fan base and how wonderful they are and really trying to make sure we create an experience where they come and want to attend over and over and over again. So it's a pretty easy place to to make that happen because our fans are so passionate. And it's making sure, again, they come back year over year. How do you... uh what started what started this initiative to get fans more involved oh really well we have a really great um associate ad for fan engagement he also oversees our annual funds and ticket sales um he uh, came up with this a little bit from a company that's called the savannah bananas many of you might have heard of it so we've taken a little bit of a page out of their book uh, to really focus on the fan experience and and again making sure that our events are personnel proof is there an event or part of the planning process that you enjoy most? 
Um, probably just coming up with, you know, crazy ideas and seeing if it works. You know, we've made some mistakes here and there, and, and some, some things haven't worked. We had the um, Taylor Swift um, event in our press box at the last football game. Some people have loved it, some people not so much. But it's been really fun to try things new and see what will catch on. And, and you see some things really go well, like at our volleyball games, we have this thing called the monster block. And when we make all the blocks the monster block of song comes on and, and, and the fans are really getting into it. And that's really what, what it's all about. And with all of this part of your job description and part of fan engagement is reallocating revenue. How do you, uh, how do you tackle that in, in terms of fan engagement? Um, well, it, it, more of the reallocation strategy is obviously generating the revenue and then deciding, you know, where to put it, how do we prioritize our resources in the most equitable way and ways that we can make sure that our kids are having the best experience possible. One example, this year we reallocated some revenue to um, fund our training table opportunity for our student-athletes. They now eat in the John Marshall room um, Monday through Thursday, two meals a day, or they can. And so really trying to find those ways to put resources in places that we can have the greatest impact. So it's definitely a twofold thing bringing our fans together, making sure they come over year over year, and then what do we do with the revenue once it's in the in the house? And controlling all this, it takes a lot of experience in the field, and you've been an integral part of several prolific college programs, whether it be in front office or administrative front or more toward operations. Uh, when you first began, how did you get your foot in the door? Yeah, well, I'm a CPA by trade. Um, I actually uh, graduated a master's degree in accounting, and I worked for Arthur Anderson for a couple of months, or I was at 23 months. I didn't quite get even two years. Um, and I decided I really wanted to get into college athletics. I was a college athlete, and that's really where my passion was. And so my first job out of grad school, I went to Ohio for a year. I um, ended up at Texas State University, which was only 30 minutes from my hometown, which is extremely unique in this business. You usually have to travel a lot, and your first job is you know, not close to your family. And I was an opportunity to stay there for eight years and be that close to my family, which, which has been amazing. And... You've talked about some things that haven't worked out in the past, but more on that front, uh, what's been the hardest lesson to learn in the business of sports? Um, probably just all the uh, personnel um, decisions you have to make, um, whether you know whether a coach is maybe not performing as best you that you want them to, or um, any other variety of reasons. That's it's a tough decision to make, and it's. Um, you know, the fans have one perspective, and obviously the internal group has another perspective. I think that's the hardest thing. An athletic director that I work for at Texas State said one time that you're going to change someone's path. You know, no matter what decision you make, you're going to change their path. And I thought that was a really empathetic way to look at some of the changes that are made sometimes. And in a business where connections mean the world, everything seems to come full circle. And one of the more interesting things I found in, in my research. In your time at Northern Illinois, our current head athletic director, Christian Spears, was also present for Northern Illinois. How has your business relationship with Spears projected you here to Marshall? Yeah, well, you know, we I um, interviewed at NIU in 2009. I didn't know Christian um, before I interviewed. Um, and he um, he was really one of the reasons why I actually ended up taking that job at NIU. He was just the vision of uh, extremely engaging, charismatic, everything that you know about Christian Spears now, you know, was how he was in 2009. And um, we uh, got to know each other, um, made made great changes at NIU, did really great things, went to the Orange Bowl first um, uh, BCS, non-BCS team to go to BCS Bowl game. So that was pretty exciting. And lots of other changes there in, in infrastructure upgrades and, and, and the like. So um, when he left uh, NIU to go to Eastern Michigan, 
Um, we stayed in touch. Probably talked once a month. Uh, and then he went to Pitt. And we still stayed in touch. I stayed at NIU and got a lot of things done. And then we had already decided that once we get to our place, or he becomes athletic director, or I do first, then we go join them at the place. So that's that's kind of where we are right now. He says that he would have joined me if I was I got to the chair first. Yeah, obviously we we don't know if that's going to be a fact, but um, but but I did um, uh, obviously stick stick with my word, and and that's why we're here. And then bouncing around your widespread footprint on American athletics, you've been all over the place. You also spent some time, like you said, at Texas State University. After spending eight years directing business operations and serving as a sport administrator for Bobcat softball, how did it feel to get to work in athletics in your home state of Texas? It was pretty. It was amazing. Um, you know, again, I mentioned uh, most of the time your first job in athletics is one of those you know, way away far from home or or something. I mean, being 30 minutes from home was amazing. And I got to make sure that I spent time with my family. I got to know my nephew. And, and there were really special moments of being um, in Texas and so close. I mean, Texas is a big state, you know. So I could have been in El Paso and not been close to my family. But 30 minutes away, it was pretty amazing amazing. So it, I couldn't have chosen a different first job. Um, and it was great experience. Um, loved working in the state of Texas. I imagine I'll probably go back someday um, to the to the great state. And then hailing from Austin, Texas, were you partial to sports by default in such a sports riddled area? Um, I don't know. You know, it's funny because my, my brother was never much into sports, but my I was. Um, you know, I played all kinds of sports growing up and then specialized in soccer once I kind of got to that point where you needed to specialize. My parents are great sports fanatics. My mom knows every single fact about every single team in America, which is kind of fun. Um, so I would say I came from a sports family, not necessarily because of the town. All right, we're going to step aside for a quick break, and when we return, we'll have more with uh, Deborah Bouton here on Sports View. Hey man, you dropped something. That's okay, it's just trash anyway. Actually, it's not okay. It's littering. You should pick it up and throw it away. It would be even better to recycle it. What are some other ways I can help out on campus? Try picking up litter around campus, recycling soda cans, plastic bottles, and paper at the designated bins around campus, taking shorter showers to save water, or walk, ride a bike, or even carpool to cut back on air pollution. Thanks man, I appreciate it. Think green and be Marshall Green. Brought to you by your friends at the eco-friendly WMUL 88.1 FM. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the WMUL Request Line Singers. Well, I try so hard just to let you know that there's nothing I won't do. Every time you play my song, I just want to sing along. Every time you play my favorite tune. Call 696-6651 now. DJs are standing by. Welcome back to Stewart's View. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards. Once again, I'm joined by Deborah Bouton. Uh, before the break, we talked about more of your younger years, and we'll go ahead and fast forward back to 2019 at Northern Illinois University once again. You earned the Athena Award courtesy of the DeKalb Chamber of Commerce. Walk me through the emotions of that moment. Oh, that was an amazing uh, event. In fact, the newest Athena is going to get announced actually this week. Um, it's a great um sorority of, of, of women. It's essentially the woman of the year for the for the community. And um, 
you know, it was amazing. It was something I set out to, you don't win it, you receive it. Um, that's the thing about the Athena. Um, but it was one of those moments that I was super proud to have committed so many resources and time to our community. I had built this, um, among with another couple other folks in, t- in town, we built this uh, community called Gather. It was a women's leadership organization and um, really just an amazing impact on the community and one that's actually still going on now. So I was super proud of that moment and, and it was amazing. Thanks for asking about that. Of course. And my follow-up question to that is the award was given in recognition of your dedication to serving the community and empowering women, especially in leadership. How do you apply your passion for those subjects in your everyday work life now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is every day now. I mean, I was a college athlete, like I mentioned, and it's I'm super passionate about what we do, especially on the women's side. I oversee a couple of women's sports right now and also men's soccer, but what athletics can do for women in the professional realm and, and really give, um, again, I'm partial, right, to uh, the women that compete with us that really give them a, a step up in the right direction as far as new jobs, opportunity, their life. And it's it's a it's a game changer for, in my opinion, um, girls and women uh, to, to participate in college sports and really take all those skills into the next level. And we'll go ahead and fast forward now to present day once again. And with successful programs, your job must get busier than it would be if martial athletics was not a successful entity, especially talking championships. So with recent success, how's your job picking up? Uh, it is. I mean, the fall is an amazing time. I, You know, when I was at, at Trinity University as an undergrad, I saw uh, an event where we had, you know, five or six teams competing at the same time. And that's actually what inspired me to want to work in the college athletics was everything stacking up. Like this weekend, we have football tomorrow night, you know, volleyball this weekend. We have soccer doubleheader on Sunday. And so just many, many, many events. And, and that's what it's all about. I tell people that work in the business, they say, if we're not having an event, then what are we here for um but um so it's it's an amazing amazing um time and i love being busy um i mean the desk work is the desk work right but it's the events and seeing the kids compete seeing coaches do what they're best at is and and that's leading our programs and as you said you're the sports administrator for four different uh, sports teams here those teams include uh men's and women's soccer volleyball and softball and, you know, out of the four, only one is a male team. And uh, is it any different to reside, preside over the men's soccer team than the others? Yeah, you know, I used to say that it was. I, um, But I tell you what, this men's soccer program, not only are they amazing uh, soccer players, they're just amazing people. They're very, very uh, kind, um, respectful. Um, I mean, I go on trips, and the first thing you do or we do when you see them in the morning is they shake your hand, they say good morning, and it's it's just a pleasure to be around that team. That's what makes it so much easier and better to see them having the success they've had because they're just great people. And I wouldn't say that. I'd probably make something else up, right? But they are – I mean, Coach Grassy does a great job leading that team, and um, it's just – it's going to be really rewarding to see what they can come up with this year. And you, you talked uh, shortly – uh, earlier that uh, you also have connections speaking in a world of connections with coach grassy you want to talk about that yeah this is a funny story so when i was at niu we were hiring men's soccer coach um and i had interviewed both um or i was going to interview coach grassy and then another individual i was two days away from getting coach grassy to niu and um and marshall uh, offered him the job here and so he called me up and said hey they're gonna they want me to you know not go on the visit they want to offer me the job uh, at marshall and i'm like man you got to take what you can take right so um this has been an interesting i i get to work with them now even though i really tried to work with them about five years ago um but i guess it all worked out 
And with the other three, three teams uh, being women's squads, uh, do you apply your skills and passion to empower women like we talked earlier to those teams? And if so, how, how do you approach them, them differently? Um, I don't know about differently. I think, obviously, um, it's, it's, uh, it's my skill set. It's my, you know, forte, um, you know, encouraging our coaches to, to lead in the same way. And we've got some amazing coaches in those three sports. I'm really um, at setting the bar for women's empowerment and leadership. I mean, Ari Agonis is, I mean, she's probably the best I've seen in this realm. We just hired um, Morgan Zirkel, who played here, and, and she's really coming to her own. And I can see her building that as well. So I couldn't be happier with putting them in a situation where they can lead their teams. And uh, I, I barely have to do anything, to be honest with you. And given that championships are listed in your job title and Marshall football wrapped up your first full year last year with a, a bowl win uh, down in Myrtle Beach at the Myrtle Beach Bowl against UConn last December, uh, how was your hand involved in that? Yeah, just making sure that we're setting up our teams uh, to be as successful as they can. You know, I mentioned the training table a minute ago. We didn't have it before, and now we have it. And those are some things that incrementally we have to add in to ensure that our teams are nutritionally sound, mentally sound. They're ready to compete. Um, they're ready to study. They're ready to serve in our community. And it's just adding those things up. So, yeah, I was really excited about the bowl, about the bowl win. I hadn't seen a ton of those in my career. So I was, went to a lot of bowl games, but didn't win a lot. So it was a really amazing win. Uh, last year you mentioned community service in that as well and how do you how do you encourage and apply uh, community service across the uh, sports department yeah, I mean, it's to me the the culture that these that our head coaches have created here. It 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 doesn't doesn't make it difficult. Um, all of our programs, um, I think they enjoy it. Um, the the fans, the community loves engaging with our student athletes. I see pictures of them all the time. I, uh, one of my golf buddies sent me a picture of all these football guys. Oh, they're the best you know young men we've ever met in our life and such and so. It's, it's an easy thing for them to do. Um, I think they enjoy it. I think the community enjoys them being out there. Again, the, the, fa- the fan base is so passionate that it's really easy to serve, I think, for our young people. And then we'll go back, we'll once again go back to football. Back on October 7th, Marshall Football traveled to Raleigh, North Carolina to take on the NC State Wolfpack. Originally, the Thundering Herd was scheduled to face uh, the Navy Midshipmen, but it pulled out and left Marshall with a bare spot on its non conference slate for the 2023 year. And then we were talking earlier, you actually have a connection. Uh, once again, it seems to be a um, recurring trend here, With once again with Christian Spears. Uh, the head coach of NC State currently is Dave Doran, and you two have a connection to him. Yeah, so when we were at NIU, our coach um, went to uh, left, um, and we needed to fill a vacancy really, really quickly. We ended up hiring Dave Doran. Um, he was he was a great coach. He did amazing things for us. Um, but yeah, so we knew him at NIU. He was there about 18 months, got us to the Orange Bowl, and then went off to NC State. He's been there since. And um, yeah, I know, we know a couple of their um, their operations person, Adam Clark, probably one of the best people in the business. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, we talked earlier a little bit when we were prepping for this this the business it's it's all about relationships and so um you never know who you're gonna run across again or know um you got to keep your eyes open for sure and then who are some other people in the athletic department here at marshall university that make your job 
easier or possible at all. Yeah, you know, I we just I just hired an assistant about a, uh, two months ago. I think she's been here two months now, Rebecca, and um, she uh, has made my job easier already. Um, you know, it's amazing how much somebody coming in. She has a law degree from Pitt. Um, super smart, very intelligent, critical thinker, knows how to get stuff done. And it's nice to watch her get into the business. And she wants to work in athletics, um, which again, it's it's uh, it's it's an interesting business. It's relational. Um, I just watched her today, kind of work with one of our student athletes and it's it's nice to see a young person really know what she wants to do and stay in the business and it'll be interesting to watch her career progress how did working with a team and playing with teams growing up lead to your ability to make connections with everyone yeah, I mean, that's all, all that it is, right? I mean, you know, sitting in a room with 20 other women and trying to figure out, okay, you know, there's only so many other women that are going to play at any given time, but we still have to be all rowing in the same direction. Um, we all have to figure out how to live in a hotel room together or live in the dorm rooms together. Um, it's, you know, it's a unique experience, I think. Again, I mentioned college athletics, super important. I think it's a, the best experience you could possibly do. Um, and you just, just get those really close relationships, emotional relationships with your teammates. It's... Um, it's something that you can't pass up and things that you won't be able to replicate and just, you know, go into class or whatever. It's, you know, late nights and um, early mornings and bus rides. And, you know, I, I was uh, with the volleyball program. We went to uh, Southern Utah and traveled back and we ended up having to fly all night because we missed our flight and some other things. But those are the moments that you remember, you know, when you're older. Um, and those are the moments that make the relationships and the team really super special. And, you know, there's a, we'll go back to you and once again, growing up, uh, there's a presumed correlation with those raised in Texas, having a sense of grit and determination and to do a job like you have, it takes a lot of that. How, how has your work, work ethic been shaped throughout your years and how has it helped you here at Marshall? Yeah, I, I think just, um, you know, growing up, there's, yeah, the, the Texas thing, that's really, that's a unique piece. Um, but also just um, working and uh, playing and working in sports. Um, you just don't take time off. You don't take a day off. You don't let off the accelerator. When you're a student athlete, it's very organized. You start at the beginning of the day, you have class, you study, you go to treatment, you go to practice. Um, you know, you might eat something a little bit later. And it's, you know, you just can't take your foot off the gas. So I think that's a lot of it. I just never taken time off. I've never taken, you know, um, relaxed uh, at all. And I think that's, I mean, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's, it's helped me, you know, progress throughout this career. So do you enjoy having basically no time off? Does it keep you, does it keep you on your toes? Yeah. I mean, you know, when COVID happened and we didn't have the events, um, you know, quite honestly, I was like, oh, what do we do? Um, you know, I was, I told one of our community or donors, um, members, I said, uh, you know, every, every five days, everybody gets two days off. It's amazing. You know, that's called the weekend. Um, and you know, in, in college sports, you don't have a lot of those, but again, that's why we're in the business. And if you're not in the business for the events and the kids and the grind of it all, it's super hard thing to commit to. And you, you mentioned COVID. How did, how did that very strange time period change the way you approach your job? Um, you know, I'm super grateful that we're in the business that we're in. Um, you know, I miss the young people. Um, I'm, I didn't love the things we made up to 
protect them. We didn't know a lot. Um, I think uh, looking back on that experience, I wish we had changed a lot of things. I wish we had done it a little bit differently, but we didn't know at the time. Another thing that it's taught me, I think, is making the decision with the facts you have at the time is kind of the sometimes the best decision you can make. And maybe it's the wrong one, but you have to make a decision. So um, that's it, one of those things you have to just move forward, make a decision, even if it's wrong, and then, you know, apologize or correct if you, if you do that. And then we'll go to a bit of a lighter subject uh, to close things off in our last few questions. Uh, I've seen that you've started participating in triathlons, referring to yourself as kind of a triathlete. Uh, how did you get into that, and what drew you to it? Yeah, well, um, when I finished playing soccer, I needed something to do, so I, I started running, ran a couple marathons, and then I realized that was a really long distance, and I was like, I can't do this forever. Um, so I said, well, why not a triathlon? And here's the deal, I'm not a very good swimmer. And so I practiced on this uh, pool thingy bopper, you know, with the line down the middle. Well, when you swim in the triathlon, there's no line. Like, some, they take that away. I'm not sure where it went. So I, 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 I had um, this... Uh, out in the water and I felt like I was drowning and this lady came by she said just float on your back you'll be fine and uh, I I always think I wish I knew that woman whoever she is but I swear she's my guardian angel because she saved my life so I got through it I swam I did as much as I could and then and then did achieve one I'm not doing one another one again (laughs) well that kind of wipes out my next question is is there some correlation between uh, your student athlete days and wanting you wanting to try something new like that yeah I mean it's um I think so. I mean, I've, I'm always going to be hopefully involved with sport. Um, I can't do as many things as I used to be able to do, but being able to stay competitive, it's super important to me. I'm, I, I try to compete in everything that I do, and if it's one of those things that um, I I fail at it, then, well, we'll try something different. Well, in your one time that you did do it, was there a favorite part of the three? Uh, well, I love biking. I'm the best at that one, for sure. And then... Uh, as we wrap up here tonight, are, do you have any parting thoughts for uh, for our viewers? Yeah, I mean, I just love being on the show. I love what's going on here in the journalism school. Um, I love the students that help us um, with our pr- pr- productions. That's another piece of the fans first. If you can't be in person, we better put on a great broadcast, right? So just appreciate all the help and assistance, and uh, I can't wait to learn more about everything that's Marshall. Well, thank you, Deborah, and that will conclude tonight's episode of Sports View. For FM 88 Sports, I'm Jonathan Edwards. Thanks for listening, and up next is Speed Zone with Ben Cower. Thanks for listening to the award-winning Sports View. Tune in again next week at 7 p.m. for more Sports View on the worldwide leader in Marshall University sports coverage, WMUL 88.1. Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHM-LP Ravenswood, West Virginia.